Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. My name is Dewey Doval, and today I have the privilege of interviewing one of my former pastors and one of my heroes of the faith. Some of our listeners may know him from his radio ministry through the Word Unleashed or from his sermons that he's preached at the Shepherds Conference in previous years. But uh, regardless of your familiarity with our guest today, Pastor Tom Pennington, I do trust that all of our listeners will be richly blessed by what, it, by what he has to say about preaching through the book of Romans, which will be the subject of conversation for today's episode. So, Pastor Tom, welcome to the Covenant Podcast, brother. It's great to have you today. Well, it's my joy, Dewey. I appreciate you and appreciate your having me. Looking forward to talking about one of my favorite subjects, uh, not only preaching in general, but the book of Romans in specific. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And uh, Pastor Tom, as we welcome you on to the Covenant Podcast for the very first time, would you be willing maybe just to start our conversation with a little bit of background information about yourself, maybe family upbringing, education, call to ministry, or anything that you uh, think is relevant to your life and ministry that you'd feel comfortable sharing with our listeners today? Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, we all are grateful for God's providence and the story that he has woven together in our lives. And and I'm certainly grateful for that. I, I was raised in, a, in a, a home of believers. My mom and dad came to faith before I was born. I'm the last of 10 children, so there were a bunch of us. Um, my dad was a nightclub entertainer, played the bass fiddle for a nightclub, big band era nightclub act, and uh, the Lord saved him out of that. And he became a, a church musician. <coughs> Excuse me. I warned you. Um, I just taught two hours, too, so I think that may be factoring in. Oh, no worries. Uh, as, as I told uh, Pastor Tom before the recording, this is how you know that we deal with raw footage. You'll have a little uh, cost here and there and uh, makes for a, a realistic conversation on the, on the episode today. So please yeah. continue, my friend. Yeah, no, the only problem with my coughs is my wife tells me they're like gunshots, you know. <laughs> but anyway, no, thank you for overlooking that. And hopefully yeah, no worries. Uh, this will uh, this will still be an encouragement. But so I grew up in a Christian home. My dad, by the time I was born, was uh, was uh, leading church music in Southern Baptist churches. And um, and so I grew up in the church every time the doors were opened. I was there through those years. I made a couple of professions of faith and in retrospect, neither of which was genuine baptized a couple of times. Um, but it really wasn't until I was a senior in high school that the Lord opened my eyes. I was, it, it actually was uh, one of the few times I heard a, a real exposition mm. in those days. And uh, the visiting pastor was just teaching through the last few chapters of Revelation, just sort of walking through and in, in almost a running commentary style, but he got to those things that wouldn't be in heaven. Mm. And, um, and I saw myself in several of those those qualities described there and realized I wouldn't be in heaven. And uh, the Lord just brought me to the end of myself and I threw myself on his mercy. And, um, you know, I, I was concerned about not just making another profession. You know, I know a lot of people worry about that. And I right. certainly did. And God gave my pastor wisdom at that point, And he just said to me, he said, Tom, he said, look, you, you have trusted in a plan. You've trusted in a prayer. He said, but salvation's in a person. Amen. You've got to come to that person, throwing yourself on him and his mercy. And it's just like the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see. I understood all those things that I had heard through the years. And uh, the Lord saved me that night. I went off to uh, college, thought I was going to be in pre-law, going to eventually be an attorney. And for three years I was. 
And then my junior year, God put me in the hospital for a couple of weeks in isolation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in those weeks, I read through the Gospels, and I was just struck with our Lord's ministry that it was a ministry of, of teaching the Word of God. That was the really crux of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I didn't know what the Lord wanted from me at that point because I just sort of whitewashed law as what God wanted after I became a Christian, not, not intentionally deceptive. I just didn't know what else to do, you know, so sure. I just made it that, but I, I remember getting down on my knees after two weeks in the hospital and just saying, Lord, I don't know what you want with my life, but whatever it is, that's what I want. And hmm. if, it, if it's preaching your word, then I'm all in, you know, just, just give me some clarity that that's your plan and purpose for me. And over the next several months, through godly counsel, through his word, he did just that. And uh, I changed majors at the end of my junior year and um, ended up eventually going to seminary. And then after uh, several years working on an advanced degree, um, I moved to California. And that's where I first got connected to John MacArthur mm-hmm. and Grace View. Served there for 16 years. I first uh, 12 years at Grace to You, I was on the administrative side, working many of those years as the managing director, running the day-to-day operations. And then my last four years in California, I was uh, John's personal assistant and the senior associate pastor of the church there, Grace Community Church. And then in 2003, in October of 2003, 20 years ago, uh, this October. The Lord and His providence brought me here to Countryside in the Dallas area, and it's been such a delight, such a joy to serve this congregation over those years. So that's sort of in a nutshell. The Lord gave me a wonderful godly wife, Sheila, and three great daughters who love the Lord and are serving Him, Lauren and Katie and Jessica. Mm. And so um, the Lord has blessed me beyond measure. But that's sort of a thumbnail sketch of, uh, of my life. Amen. Oh, that's that's a full life, especially when you're one of 10 kids. I can only imagine the stories you have from your upbringing. And um, just on a personal note, I, I can really relate to coming to faith at a later age, uh, my senior year as well as when I got saved. And I'd made a few professions of faith, had been baptized twice uh, prior to coming to saving faith in Christ my senior year. So um, a lot of overlap there with my own story. Yeah. I'm, I'm really grateful to, to hear you share that, and uh, I, I trust that some of our listeners will be as well. Um, but as, as we transition now into the bulk of the remainder of our conversation today, uh, I mentioned moments ago the topic of our conversation is on preaching through Romans. And um, some of our listeners may be familiar with your style of preaching. It makes sense that you'd want to be an attorney in the past because you do sometimes sound like a lawyer just laying out the case from Scripture from the pulpit. Um, by my count, you have preached a total of 205 sermons from the book of Romans during your tenure at Countryside Bible Church. And um, you were in your uh, expositional series of that book for over seven years. And, and my wife and I were were able to have the privilege of sitting in that series for, I think, the first four or five years of that before the Lord called us into pastoral ministry. So maybe just to start, as, as we look to considering the book of Romans and your approach to preaching through it and, and all the insights that you'll share with us today, what initially caused you to devote so much attention to this particular book of the Bible? Like, Was this something that you initially planned on preaching over 200 sermons through this book, or did it just kind of happen organically? Maybe share some of, of those uh, details as we now transition into considering Romans together. 
Well, as you know, Dewey, I mean, my approach to scripture is the same, whatever book I'm teaching. And that is, I want to understand it. I want to understand the original authorial intent. I want to understand the author's theme of the book. I want to understand how he develops that theme. I want to understand his structure. And as Mm -hmm. best I can, I want to explain his theme and his structure to my congregation so that we, it's not Tom, it's not my message. It's my explanation of his message. And, Mm. and so that's my heart. And I don't, I don't set out with some sort of plan. I didn't approach Romans and say, look, I'm going to preach 200 sermons on Romans (laughs) or I'm going to take seven years. I thought I would do it in five years. That was my guess when I started. Um, but I didn't, I wasn't going to hold to that. I just took the next passage and, and how long did I need to really explain that to my congregation? And so it just unfolded organically through those years. And that's true with whatever book I'm teaching. I mean, there is that delicate balance we all go through where, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to preach so many sermons in a book that, that you're saying the same thing. Right. But and some guys do that, you know, some, to some people it's death by exposition, but that's not really <laughs> exposition. It's, it's, you know, you're, you're not presenting the next passage with its freshness. You're just rehearsing the same theme in a laborious way. So I think if we capture the, the freshness and fullness of the spirit in that text and even through the human author, then every paragraph has something new to say, even if it's rehearsing, as I am in First John, for example, right now, if it's rehearsing some of the same themes again, right. as John likes to do, he's doing it in a different and a new and a fresh way. And if I reflect that, then it's not, it's not laborious for me or my congregation. Right. So anyway, long answer to a short question. It really was an organic sort of development as I just encountered the text week by week and said, wow, this is, this is deep. This is huge. I need to understand this. I need to explain this. Amen. No, it's a very helpful segue into the next question. You mentioned uh, focusing on the, the themes and the structure of the book, and, and it's your job as an expositor to, to unpack that for your audience, for your congregation. Um, so, so maybe on that note, Let's let's think about some of the key themes and, and the major sections that you were able to unpack and explain from the pulpit at Countryside over the years, preaching through Romans. Uh, would you mind sharing some of the the themes that stood out most to you, and and maybe just even at a thirty thousand foot flyover level, maybe sure. give us an overview of how you broke that book down from start to finish? Yeah, no, I'm I'm happy to do that. I mean, that's my joy. I, I would say you've got to start, as always, when you look at any given book. Every book of the Bible has a central theme. It may develop that theme in different ways. There may be sub-themes, but there's one point, one major theme that book is making. And in the case of Romans, it's the gospel of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's pretty remarkable when you look at the background as to why Paul wrote it. He explains it in chapter 15. But, but the reason he wrote Romans is because he had finished all of those years serving in in Eastern Europe and had served as a church planner, missionary. And now he was at a transition point and he wanted to go to Western Europe and he wanted the churches in Rome to support him in that new missionary outreach and enterprise. But he had never been to Rome. He didn't plant the churches in Rome and he wanted them to understand exactly the content of the gospel that he preached. And that's why we have Romans. 
it's the most doctrinal of the letters Paul wrote in, in the terms of why he set out or how he set out to explain the truths. It's very much like a doctrinal treatise. And it's because that was his point. His point was to say to the Romans, here is my gospel. Mm. Won't you join me in bringing this gospel to Spain and to Western Europe? And so that's why we have Romans. So when you look at the overall theme, then it is the gospel of God. Once you, once you get finished with the first 17 verses of chapter one, which are really introduction, he, he ends that introduction in verses 16 and 17 by introducing the theme. I'm not ashamed of the gospel right. for it's the power of God. So he introduces the theme there and he talks about that theme even earlier in Romans one, where he, he really bills out that it's about Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished, who he is and what he's accomplished. But once you move past that introduction in the first 17 verses, you begin to see that each major section of Romans develops something about the gospel. Hmm. So the first major section of Romans starts in chapter 1 and verse 18 and runs through the end of chapter 4, and it is the gospel explained. And here Paul lays out the heart of the gospel. He starts with the need for the gospel. Chapter 1, you have the pagan, the guy who who doesn't believe in the God of the Scripture, who doesn't embrace the God of the Scripture, and talks about why he needs the gospel. He's seen the reality of the Creator God in the creation, and God's made it evident to him. Then he comes to chapter 2, through the really through chapter 3, verse um, 8, and he talks about the Jewish person. Mm-hmm. And, and by extension, anybody who claims to be connected to the true God, but who hasn't come to trust in the biblical gospel and says they need the gospel because they keep talking about God's law. They keep talking about doing it, but they don't do it. And therefore they're going to get God's justice. Uh, You know, chapter two, verse five, you're storing up for yourself judgment in the day of judgment. And God's going to render to each person according to what he deserves. So, so you have the need, then you come to chapter uh, three, verse nine, down through verse 20. And now he's talking about everybody needs the gospel. Jew and Gentile, and he lays out that incredible uh, statement on depravity. Then he introduces the gospel itself in chapter 3, verse 21, and explains what the gospel is there. It's now been manifested. It's this righteousness that's a gift from God. And in chapter 4, he shows that this has always been God's plan. Mm -hmm. It's the gospel that Abraham believed. It's the gospel that David believed. And he just unfolds that it's by faith. So that's the gospel explained. In chapters 5 through 8, you see that he he gets into the gospel experience. I would put it that way, the gospel experience, where he fills out the effects of that gospel and justification mm-hmm. in specific. And here's where it gets a little interesting, because he kind of interrupts himself. In chapter 5, he starts by talking about the, the immediate benefits of the gospel and, and of justification, down to verse 11. And then in verses 12 and following, he talks about how the gospel is even possible. How could God pronounce a guilty sinner righteous mm. when that's the very thing God says no one should do? Right. The answer is, you know, because he's been appointed as our representative in the same way that Adam was appointed as our representative in the garden. So right. It's, it's right and just and legal for God to do this. But at the end of chapter 5, Paul makes a couple of statements that could easily be misunderstood. One about the believer's relationship to sin and the other about the believer's relationship to the law. 
And so the next two chapters, he spends clarifying those issues. It's because of something he says in the second part of chapter five that sort of raises those specters. And so in chapter six, he talks about the believer's relationship to sin. Hmm. And then in chapter seven, the believer's relationship to the law. And, um, and then he, having interrupted himself with sort of an aside in those chapters, comes back to the great benefit uh, and effects of justification in chapter eight with our, our ultimate security that we are secure in Christ, you know, nothing can separate us from the love mm-hmm. of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So that's the gospel as he, as he uh, explains its experiential effects in our lives. Amen. But at the end of chapter eight, he says, nothing can separate us from God's love. Well, if you're, if you're a thinking Gentile or if you're Jewish, what's your immediate response? Wait a minute. Right. What happened to the Jews? <laughs> And so you have in verses nine, or excuse me, in chapters nine through 11, you have a defense of the gospel where he says, wait a minute, let me tell you that that that's not something that shows the gospel's a mistake or that somehow God has allowed his love to change. In chapter nine, he says it was never God's intention to save every ethnic descendant of Abraham. And he talks about election, talks about, you know, the different people in that line that God chose to save versus those he didn't choose to save. And, um, and then in chapter 10, he talks about the fact that the, part of the reason the Jews aren't believers is human responsibility, right? They've been offered the gospel and yet they've refused it and they haven't accepted it. And then in chapter 11, he, he says, but in spite of all of that, God's not done with the ethnic descendants of Abraham, mm-hmm. you know, all Israel will be saved. So that's his defense of the gospel in light of the questions that might come up. And then you get to chapter 12 through until the conclusion, and he's talking about the gospel applied. Here's, here's what the gospel looks like as it's lived out. And I love the way he begins in chapter 12. You know, basically he says, look, because of the justification we've experienced, your body doesn't belong to you, verse one, and your mind doesn't belong to you, verse mm-hmm. two you need to think as the scriptures tell you to think and not as you choose to think or the world tells you to think. Right. So, and then he, from there unpacks the different aspects of the application of the gospel from life in the church. When he talks about spiritual gifts there in the beginning of chapter 12 to love, to not carrying out revenge. And of course, a huge section on issues of conscience in chapters 14 and 15. And then that brings us to the conclusion of the letter. So that's a, that's a sort of uh, thirty thousand foot flyover of a, a magnificent letter. Absolutely, that was a wonderful flyover. Now, I I can guarantee you that uh, many of our listeners right now are appreciating uh, just your thoughtfulness and your attention to detail and um, just laying that out for us so clearly. And we certainly praise God for your faithfulness to preach the full counsel of Scripture uh, when given opportunities to do so at Countryside, especially with the Book of Romans and. With a book like Romans, as we know, for, for us who've studied it and read it and have had any kind of conversations about it within the local church or uh, maybe with unbelievers who've read some of the contents found in that book, there's a lot of interpretive debates and some interpretive difficulties as well that have arisen throughout church history when thinking about Romans and, and thinking about how we should go about understanding it as a whole Pastor Tom, from your perspective, what parts of Romans presented you with the most challenges to preach from? And as a pastor, thinking pastorally, 
How did you go about navigating those challenges for the good of your congregation and and seeking to not cause anybody to stumble as you as you face some of those issues that uh, can be seen in the book of Romans? Well, I think you're you're absolutely right. I mean, there are two categories. There, there are those issues in Romans that have created problems for some people mm-hmm. uh, through church history. I mean, depravity would be a great example. Right. That didn't create any issues for me or my flock, but it has for many. But in terms of your really the heart of your question, that is in my own heart or in my church, I would say, um, you know, the greatest challenges would be, first of all, in chapter two, there is a huge interpretive decision about what does he mean there when he talks about those who do what's right will inherit eternal life. Mm. That's a that's a massive debate among the commentaries, and it has huge implications obviously from a, from a doctrinal and theological standpoint. I mean, where I landed, and I think a case, a clear case can be made for it, is that he's talking hypothetically. He's saying if it were possible to keep the law, then eternal life could be earned from it, but it's not possible. Um, there are others who learn in different land in different places. Even evangelicals uh, whom we respect would land in different places uh, and say that it's talking about the the evidence of works in a believer's life after mm-hmm. salvation that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, but that he's talking about the evidence of those works. That's a legitimate interpretation. Uh, I didn't see that as I studied it. Didn't land there, but that was a that was a, a interesting passage to wrestle with. Obviously, not so much for me at this stage in my life in ministry, but but for those in my congregation coming out of particularly Arminian backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Romans 9 was a big issue just to handle it, not only carefully and exegetically, but graciously. Mm-hmm. And remember that I didn't always believe in unconditional election. Right. Um, and to remember that I need, therefore, to teach it and to teach it clearly, but in a careful, gracious way that doesn't that doesn't act like, you know, if you haven't come to this position already, shame on you. You know, how, how stupid could you be? Right. When the truth is we're all at various stages of understanding and maturity. So just bringing them along with me and Mm -hmm. talking about, let's look at what God says here. Um, So that was not so much a challenge to understand the text as to preach it in a thoughtful way that, that was pastorally reflective of, some of the trouble I knew individuals who were newer to our church might have with that issue. Um, You know, in God's providence, we actually landed in Romans 13, just as the COVID lockdown happened. That's right. I was going to mention something about that at some point I was thinking, how can I, how can I throw a, uh, a, um, a recommendation in here for our listeners to go and listen to that series because if ever there was a if ever there was a place in Romans to land in the midst of COVID nineteen, uh, chapter thirteen is a great place to land. I thought you did. A great I could job never have planned that. I could never have arranged that. That's the beauty of teaching expositionally. The Lord just does that stuff. I that's mean, right? You know, I'm not smart enough to figure that out, but that's where it landed. And the other part of that was after the COVID thing, Christians were so much in disagreement about mm-hmm. so many issues related to that. And then we came to issues of conscience, right? which is was exactly perfect for where the Christian community, the larger Christian community was at the time as well. And so, uh, you know, I think all of those required being very uh, clear, being very accurate with what the text says, 
but also being loving and gracious and and pastoral in mm-hmm. how I handle that text with the many struggles I knew that the people in my congregation were having. That's very helpful. Very well said. I um I was not there at Countryside when you went through Romans two, and after hearing you lay out your uh, your position on that uh, portion of Romans two, I personally think that that's solid as rock. I mean, I I would probably land there myself, but uh, I definitely I'm I'm curious to go back and listen because I think you were in late Romans three or early Romans four when I started attending Countryside back in 2016. So, um. Yeah, I would, I would definitely love to hear your your thoughts on that from the text. But um, moving along here, this is this is great, Pastor Tom. I appreciate your insights um, for our listeners. I, and you've you've heard him allude to this already. But Pastor Tom is affiliated with the Master Seminary. He's been affiliated with uh, TMS and um, Grace Community Church for many years now, and uh, he's also uh, affiliated with the Master's Academy International. Some of our listeners may remember the episode we did with Dr. Eric Weathers, who uh, is one of the uh, key representatives in that organization. And um, by, by necessary consequences in God's providence, uh, Pastor Tom, you've had a, a pretty wide range of experience and you've rubbed shoulders with a lot of men. God has allowed you to mentor many uh, young men such as myself. I mean, I remember having the privilege of having meals with you and and you just being so patient to let a young guy in his early 20s, mid 20s, pick your brain on all kinds of matters pertaining to scripture and ministry. And I'll be forever grateful for those uh, times that we had together. But you've had a lot of opportunity to minister, uh, to mentor and minister to the next generation of men and um, maybe getting practical now, because a lot of our listeners are pastors or they're seminarians. And at some point, they're going to have the opportunity to preach through the book of Romans. Um, and it may be helpful to, to hear from somebody who has experience doing so uh, before they try to tackle that challenge. So on that note, what words of wisdom would you provide to somebody who's preparing to teach the book of Romans? And in hindsight, is there anything specific that you wish you would have known prior to teaching the book of Romans for yourself? Hmm. You know, the last question, I think if I had known how rich it would have been for me personally and for our congregation, I would have done it sooner. Mm. Um, But I think, you know, to your point, as a pastor, you have to evaluate along with the elders, when is the right time to bring certain truth and certain books of the Bible to bear on your congregation? And so there are there are times to preach Romans and there are times not to do it. Right. For example, you go into a church that has just experienced a major upheaval, maybe lost their pastor, maybe there's been a split, et cetera. You want to come into that, but teaching passages and books that are that are not controversial by their nature, sure. that instead are uh, are going to be kind of, uh, you know, as the Puritan described it, you know, kind of uh, effective medicine for for wounded and bruised hearts. You know, you you want to you want to think like that. Um, you don't want to wait. For example, I'll give you a great example. In my case, when I came to Countryside, um, there were some there had been some real difficulties, and and some of those were over doctrinal issues, uh, and specifically, you know, the question of Arminianism versus Calvinism. And so I didn't choose to start with Ephesians, even though it's a great book, because Mm -hmm. you immediately get into the issue of election. 
Right. And while I am, a, and I was very upfront with the pulpit search team and with everyone else about my views on the issue, I didn't think it was wise to begin there. Uh, to I thought it would be wiser for me to deal with uh, a book that sets out the basics of Christian living, where we learn first how to relate to each other, even when we disagreed. So I started mm-hmm. with Philippians and uh, and laid that foundation. And James, very practical in terms of what the outworking and effects of saving faith are. And and then only down the road did I get to Romans uh, and to Ephesians and then eventually to Romans. Right. Deal with those issues. So it's not that you avoid them. You never want to do that. But at the same time, you want to use biblical wisdom. You want to be honest about your position. You want to be straightforward. But you also want to weigh where your congregation is and choose based on the input of the elders, your you know prayers for wisdom, the, the book that's going to be the best fit for where your congregation is at that point in its history. So I guess all that to say, in one sense, I wish I'd preached it earlier. In the other sense, um, I think it was the right time because things needed to settle in and people needed to trust me. Sure. Before we got to controversial issues. Very <laughs> uh, timely wisdom. And um, I, I think that in God's providence and by his grace, you made the right call by going uh, with the more practical and even uplifting book to start with Philippians. Although, obviously, plenty of rich doctrine in the book of Philippians to consider a great starting place for any church. And, um, of course, Going to the book of James shortly after that, uh, uh, I, I know me personally, I've gleaned a lot from that study. So, um, yeah, very, very good insights there, Pastor Tom. Really appreciate you sharing that with our listeners. And you know, um, if I could interrupt you, dude, before you move yeah. to the next question, I would say one other thing that I should have mentioned is I would move at different speeds depending on where my congregation is. If I have a, a lot of new believers who've never sat under expositional preaching, then I'm not going to take seven years to preach through Romans. Probably, sure, I might sure. come back and do it later and do it at fuller, but I might move through it a little quicker uh, to give them an, a more of an overview and to expose them to all those truths. So there, there are all those factors. I mean, right. you just pray for you pray for God's wisdom, and He's promised to give it to us uh, as we seek to to best feed His sheep. Amen. Well, you know, and I, I think about even at the church that I'm serving at right now, they've they've never had a book preached verse by verse from start to finish. And uh, my close friend who's uh, the senior pastor, he's preaching the book of Colossians and really just trying to stress that Jesus Christ is Lord and his work is enough. And he's preaching verse by verse. Uh, we're not going to be in Colossians for five years or anything like that, but we'll be in it as long as we need to, to, to um, make sure we accurately divide the word of truth and uh, do justice to the text. But um, it's really cool to hear you say that pastors need to consider where the congregation is uh, before you decide to preach on a particular book, not just in terms of its length, but in terms of its uh, potential for stirring up controversy or causing people to stumble. And I've it's been cool to see how um, our pastor, our senior pastor here at Metro East is is committed to that as well. And I guess when you started Romans, you would have been at Countryside, uh, countryside for about 13 years at that point, um, if this is coming up on your 20s. So, I mean, they had a decade at that point sitting under your teaching ministry. They knew you. They saw your heart for Christ and for his people. So um, it seems like that was a really good time to, to work on preaching through that book. Yeah, I don't remember the math specifically. I've been out of Romans for a little while now. But, yeah, I think you're right. I, certainly it would have been 
eight to 10 years oh, yeah. uh, where they really knew me and they knew my heart and, um, uh, and even, um, you know, understood that I, I wasn't going to go to seed on any issue. I was going to try to reflect not only what the scriptures say, but at the same level of emphasis that the scriptures give it. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been talking with Pastor Tom Pennington about his insights and his experience related to preaching through the book of Romans. And Pastor Tom, this has been a delightful conversation. I wish we could talk all day, but uh, as, as the old saying goes, all good things must come to an end. So before we draw our conversation to a close, um, are there any resources that you would recommend to our listeners who are either looking to study the book of Romans at a deeper level, or maybe for pastors or seminarians who um, are going to have opportunities to preach this book in the context of the local church? Uh, do you have any favorite commentaries or suggested commentaries that you would like to, to recommend to them? Yeah. You know, I, I, I whenever I come to a book that I'm going to be preaching, I want to do my own exegetical spade work but then I want to read the, the best commentaries that are out there. And so for me, that ranges from anywhere from seven or eight to 14 or 15 commentaries on every book that I'm going to be preaching through. I, I, I read along as I'm studying through the book mm-hmm. and keep up to speed. Some of those become more go-to than others because I really develop an affinity for that author. He He's where I am more often than not. And right. And, uh, and it, I think explains the text well, and I like the conclusions he comes to. So I want to read outside of that author and my own study, but you end up really developing a personal relationship in a sense with uh, the guys that you feel like just, they have a great sense of the book. Right. And it doesn't mean in every passage, because there are definitely passages with every commentary that I just sh- in my, I find myself shaking my head. I'm sure they would at, at my conclusions, you know, going, I don't see how they got there. But by and large, the best commentary that I found on the book of Romans was by Douglas Moo. Hmm. Uh, I felt like he was extremely thorough. He's, he wrote, it's, it's definitely a magnum opus mm-hmm. um, and very careful, very articulate, dealt with all the key issues and even if I disagreed with his conclusion, I felt like he fairly tried to reflect the the different views in given passages. So, you know, the ultimate goal of a commentary isn't to teach you the passage. The ultimate goal of a commentary is to check your interpretation that you've arrived at from your own exegesis. Right. And, and make sure you haven't gone somewhere other than where the church has gone historically mm-hmm. on that position. And so it, it's a great check and a balance. Um, and he was always that for me. In addition, a good commentary gives you great um, application and illustration ideas. And with that, you know, I loved uh, Boyce. I loved mm-hmm. Lloyd-Jones. So from an exegetical standpoint, I thought Moose stood head and shoulders above the rest. But from, you know, some of those other insights, application, illustrations, illustrations, I thought, uh, and application, I thought Montgomery Boyce uh, was excellent with, I thought Lloyd-Jones excellent with, but I think Moo, if I had to buy one commentary on the book of Romans in retrospect, it'd be Douglas Moo. Amen. 
All right, listeners, if you're if you don't already have uh, Douglas Moose commentary in the Book of Romans, there's all the reason you need to uh, get out the credit card or the checkbook and and make another purchase to add to the library. I'm sure you'll be richly blessed by that edition. And um, just to echo what you said, Pastor Tom, um, for the listeners, I got to experience how uh, Pastor Tom would preach through Romans, and oftentimes what he would do is he would lay out, you know, if there were three or four different interpretations of a text. He would lay out the gist of what those possible interpretations were, give strengths, weaknesses, uh, significant proponents of that uh, interpretation, and then he would give his own and his explanation for why he landed where he did. So um, that really resonated well with me as a young man and as an aspiring pastor and as one who was in seminary uh, while sitting under Pastor Tom's preaching. So uh, just take that for what it's worth as well. Uh, Pastor Tom, I think he did a great job of of navigating those waters as you preach through this book. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It, it really has been a joy to spend time with you, even though virtually it's, it's been too long since I've seen you in person. But um, thank you so much for what you've done for me, what you've done for my family, and for so many others at Countryside. Wish you nothing but the best moving forward in your pastoral ministry and, and hope to cross paths again with you as soon as possible. Well, thanks so much, Dewey. It's a joy to be with you excited for uh, how the Lord has used you and how he'll use you in the days ahead. And in his providence, maybe uh, use our discussion together for the blessing and benefit of some who are listening. Amen. We love nothing more than that. Uh, to our listeners, we want to thank you again, as always, for your continued support of the Covenant Podcast. And until next time, we wish you grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless.